I want to talk about the issue of purpose. The issue of purpose. Uh, I believe that at some, sometimes we really struggle with purpose. Many years ago when I was in business, someone handed me a book, The On Purpose Person. And I read that book and it was very helpful for me. Uh, it was all about keeping focus. We're all familiar with the, the movie Up and the dog in Up who finds a squirrel everywhere, right? Some of us are that puppy. We tend to find squirrels in the craziest places because we have problems focusing. Uh, God wants us to be focused people. There are specific things that he wants us to accomplish. And uh, the, the thing that I want us to think about uh, really today on this Erev Rosh Hashanah as we begin this new year is to consider our unique purpose as a Messianic community. Uh, there are some specific unique things that God wants us to do. And before I begin, I'm going to read an illustration uh, that I've used on more than one occasion, so I'm sure some of you are very familiar with it, but I'm going to read it anyway because I happen to like it. One of Gaul's immortal moments came when a Scotchman demonstrated the new game of, to President Ulysses Grant. Carefully placing the ball on the tee, he took a mighty swing. The club hit the turf and scattered dirt all over the president's beard and surrounding vicinity, while the ball placidly waited on the tee. Again, the Scotchman swung, and again he missed. President Grant waited patiently through six tries, and then quietly stated, There seems to be a fair amount of exercise in the game, but I failed to see the purpose of the ball. And uh, it's a great illustration, I think, for some of us of our lives. What is the purpose of our lives? What is, it that, what is it that we are supposed to be accomplishing? Something that God wants us to achieve. This morning I want us to think about the issue of purpose, but I want to bring it from a, a perspective. Uh, when I was in Israel back in uh, June, actually back in March as well, but I've been, uh, I have some, several friends of mine over there who have been connected with our Messianic Jewish movement. They made Aliyah and they're in the land. And in a discussion with one of them, we were discussing about the theme of our UMJC summer conference this last July. The conference with Tzedek. Uh, which for us, when we think tzedek, we think righteousness or, uh, or rightness uh, to to uh, uh, to do right. You know, we should pursue righteousness in our world. But the the uh, the word for tzedek, really in its original sense, means straightness. That's really what it means in its in its core understanding is straightness or stiffness. And in the book of Genesis, chapter 44, it's on Bereshit 44, toward the end of the book, in the Hitpa'el form, the term, the word is nitzadach, and in that particular usage is meant to mean to be justifying ourselves, to justify oneself. In other words, are we straight? Are we sincere? Are we real? That's a, that's a good question. We were discussing that in, in terms of our movement, in terms of fulfilling the role and the purpose God has for us. Are we straight on the task? Are we focused on that uniqueness, that purpose God has for us? Or are we really orthodoxic? Are we confused both our, confusing both ourselves and the people around us? Well... I think that uh, the book of Romans chapter 11 gives us actually a pretty good uh, sense of our purpose as a community. Uh, 
In the book of Romans, chapter 11, Shaul is specifically talking about who we are as Jewish people and the fact that there's still a relevancy for us. You know, we are messianic, meaning we believe that the Messiah has come and that his name is Yeshua. And that Yeshua came in fulfillment of the prophecies that were made about the coming of the Messiah. And yet, unfortunately, at times, uh, those who believe in our Jewish Messiah, those in the greater Christian community, really doubt that there's any real purpose left for us. I mean, how many of us as Jewish people who come to believe in Yeshua have been told, well, you're a Christian now? I mean, Barry Isaacson's eating dinner with his family tonight, but if he were here, he would say, I don't understand. If, if you believe in Jesus, you're not converting to another religion, you know? Must have heard that out of his mouth about a hundred times. And yet, how often, though, are we told, well, you're not Jewish anymore if you believe in Jesus? So I want us to take a look at this text because I think that the book of Romans chapter 11 it can be tremendously encouraging for us as we contemplate our unique purpose. And when I say our unique purpose, I'm speaking actually of, of, what, of, of all of us in here, whether this evening you are Jewish or you are Gentile. There are specific purposes that God has for us, and we find them in this text. So I'm going to ask that we move to the... Uh, PowerPoint, we take a look at this text. We're going to begin by taking a look at this first set of verses from the first part of the chapter. It says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he knew beforehand. Or do you not know what the scripture says about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Adonai, they have killed your prophets. They have destroyed your altars. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So in the same way also at this present time, there has come to be a remnant according to God's gracious choice. So here at the very beginning of this chapter, we see that there is indeed a purpose and a meaning for us as Jewish people. Even though, like in the time of Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, we are just a remnant. A remnant. How big is a remnant? Well, you can go to Olson's rugs and see what they got for remnants. Usually remnants are pretty small. Remnants can be like rugs. If you're lucky, you can get a big remnant. But remnant usually means only a portion of. We are just a portion of our people. But that's not unusual. Elijah is crying out to God saying, I'm the only one who's left. God says, stop making such a big deal out of yourself. There are 7,000 more. 7,000 out of a million? There were a lot of Jews, well, Israelis it would be called back then. But there were a lot of Israelis descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you know what? Only a small percentage of them. We're following the God of Israel. But yet God still has a purpose for our people. It's always only been a very small portion of Jewish people that have followed the God of Israel. All we've got to do is just, again, take a look in the Torah portions and all the grumbling and the disobeying that went on in the desert. We are an obstinate people. Maybe you're not as obstinate as the person next to you. <laughs> look around and see. I don't know. We're all about the same. We can be difficult. But yet, God is faithful. God is faithful to our people. 
And God has always remained committed to our people. The problem, unfortunately, is that we have not necessarily demonstrated much commitment to Him. Now, as part of this, though, we have to accept the fact that a certain amount of hardening has occurred to our people when it comes to this issue of who Yeshua is. Let's take a look at this next text. It says, Romans 11, uh, verse 11, and in 17 through 18, there's more to the passage. I just want to read this. It says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their false steps, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. What the text is seeking to communicate is that in our time, and this is written post-Yeshua's death and resurrection, is that the vast majority of our Jewish people are not open to the truth of who Yeshua is as Messiah. That this is something that God has allowed. Why would the God of Israel allow His chosen people to have hard hearts toward His Messiah for the Jewish people? Well, this text makes it very clear. This has come about for the salvation of the nations. You know, remember the, term, the word Gentile in Hebrew, goyim, is simply a reference to the nations, non-Jews. Although Israel itself is called a goy, it's called a nation itself. So, but it's specifically in the terminology here, is used referring to the nations. It is so that all the non-Jewish people in the world would have the opportunity to come to accept the truth of who the Jewish Messiah is and to accept the atonement that his death has provided. This is something that God has come up with. It's his plan. I've often said I don't always like God's plans. I think it's a fine Jewish tradition. Abraham didn't like his plans all the time. If you remember back to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, where Abraham argues with God to save the cities. But God has a plan. And his plan is that for us as Jewish people, that, that we experience this hardening for a period of time so that the message of who Yeshua is goes out to all the nations. But the nations, the Gentiles... Their responsibility and purpose is to provoke Israel to jealousy. It's so that Jewish people will be drawn to the person of Messiah Yeshua because of the way they're living. So the followers of Messiah Yeshua from among the nations have as their responsibility to provoke Israel to jealousy. But how are they supposed to do that? They're not supposed to do that by, by becoming Jews. You see that very clearly within the text of Scripture. I don't have time to go through it here in terms of both. Whether the Hebrew Scriptures or the New Testament, it's all the same. They are to be who they are for the purpose of being a testimony in life. Really, how do they provoke Jewish people to jealousy in regards to Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah? They acknowledge and follow the God of Israel. They acknowledge and follow the God of Israel. Now you may say right now, well that's you know, what does that have to do with anything? I mean, you know, almost, uh, what, a third of the, of the people in the world are Christians. <laughs> okay. So what does it mean they, they acknowledge and follow the God of Israel? I think that in, when this is given, the challenge is you see these pagans in that environment, which was a Hellenistic pagan, or not Hellenistic, just pagan world. These people coming to accept that the Jewish Messiah is indeed the Messiah, that the, the Jewish God is indeed the one true God and yet live how God made them to be. That's a tremendous 
testimony. When I became a believer when I was 15 and a half, the thing that kind of really impacted me was the understanding that as I, as a Jew, could accept that Yeshua is indeed my Messiah and I don't have to become anything other than a Jew. I can be who I am. So this amazing truth transforms the lives of anyone. It doesn't force them to change who they are. It just changes their position before God. They come into personal position, personal relationship with God as they are. Sometimes as Jewish people, especially around the holidays, we kind of strut around like we're something special. Really the only thing special about us is God has given us a unique responsibility. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we are no better than anyone else. All people have the equal opportunity to be in relationship with the God of the universe through their personal faith in Messiah Yeshua. Many people who call themselves Christians are not really followers of the God of Israel. It's a reality. There's a nominalism that pervades Christianity. Maybe that's the reason why so few Jewish people believe in Yeshua. Because they see Christendom as it exists. And they don't see much of a Jewish Messiah or the God of Israel. Or maybe they see just nominalism. The world today doesn't need more religiosity. What the world needs today is, is the testimony of people whose lives have been changed because they've come into relationship with God. Now, I have an interesting illustration that I want to show, though. Let me finish, though, with these last two verses. It says in verse 17, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them, and became a partaker of the root of the olive tree with its richness, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. And this, is a, this can seem a little confusing. What is this illustration all about? And theologians, theologians argue about it. Books have been written about it. Let me show you a picture. Next slide. All right. This is a very interesting little bush. All right, this is a, uh, um, what is this thing? So I'm looking at my notes here. This is a Meyer lemon grafted to an Anna apple tree. You may say, what is this? This is a graft. This is a graft that's taken place between two different types of fruit trees that shouldn't graft together. Now, anybody here done any, you know, work with grafting of, of plants and such? Anybody? Now, I always thought that, okay, figures you would, Jim, that makes sense. I figure if you take and you graft something, because I come from Northern California and there's vineyards and there's all kinds of orchards, you know, on the north side of San Francisco, and I just figured that when you grafted something that it began to produce the fruit of the trunk, Okay. I mean, you always ever think like that? Anybody ever think along those lines that if you graft something in, that it becomes like the root? That's absolutely not what happens. In fact, what I discovered is that the root stock is immaterial. All you want is a hardy root stock. All right, so you want a root that is strong, that can withstand uh, the elements and insects and all the rest of it. And then you take the particular type of fruit you want. Okay? And you graft that in, and that graft of that special fruit that you really want will take all of the strong sustenance from the root, but produce 
its own unique fruit. In fact, this is what is mostly done in horticulture. This is what they do in vineyards and in, in uh, orchards. Now, you know, you, you, you don't know what's going to happen if you plant a seed. Take an apple and you plant the seeds in the apple. You don't know if you're going to get the same quality of fruit compared to if you graft a branch into a strong root. Isn't that amazing? But what's amazing also is that this is nothing new. People have known about this a long, long time. And so what's being articulated here in these verses is that those who have come to faith in the Messiah of Israel from the nations have been grafted into the strong base root of the, of the, the understanding of the God of Israel. Okay? And as they come into it as a wild olive tree, that's not a negative. That's not a pejorative calling them olive. It's or wild. It's just that they are not natural. And that the fruit they're expected to bear is their unique fruit. Occasionally in our Messianic Jewish movement, uh, Gentile uh, believers who come into the congregations are under the assumption that they're supposed to act Jewish and be Jewish and all the rest of that. And you know what's funny is that's absolutely false. God expects believers from among the nations to bear their own unique fruit. I came to believe in Yeshua because of a Mormon friend of mine became a believer in Jesus. Nothing Jewish about this dude. Except for the fact that he had a passion for the God of Israel. And I was drawn to that, that same faith. The God of Israel wants to save the nations. And he does it by bringing them into relationship with him the same way that we as Jewish people come to faith, come into relationship with him through our Messiah Yeshua. And God expects them to be who he made them to be. Now, for us as Jewish people though, what is it that God expects of us? So I get the proper note here. God expects us to be who he called us to be. And so let's take a look at the next verse. <clears throat> Verses uh, 25 through 29, it says, For I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own eyes, that a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And we've talked about that. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written, The Deliverer shall come out of Zion. He shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the good news, they are hostile for your sake. But concerning chosenness, they are loved on account of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What uh, Shaul, what Paul is seeking to say in that text is that as Jewish people, that God is not done with us. And that even though the majority of our family and our friends don't accept that Yeshua is the Messiah, and many of us have felt their cynicism or anger or rejection in one way or another, that that is simply what it is. It's no different than Elijah was no different than, uh, than the experience Moses had. It's no, no difference than many Jewish people have had through the centuries. Because the majority of our people has never followed the God of Israel the way that we're supposed to. But ultimately, in the end, God will bring redemption to our people. He will save Israel. Jewish people and their family members though who have come to accept the fact that Yeshua is indeed the Messiah, 
need to think about living an active Jewish life. That's our calling. Our calling is to make the nations see that God is indeed faithful to what we read. That God's calling upon us is irrevocable. But often it's hard for the nations to actually find a Jew who believes in Yeshua. It's not because we're not there. It's because we're not public. And we're not prominent. And we're not really identified. How many Jewish people believe in Yeshua in America? I don't know. It could be anywhere from from 300,000 to 30,000. But most of those Jewish people who believe in Yeshua are not active in their Jewish identity. They don't practice and live out any kind of Jewish life. And so their testimony for Messiah to encourage the believers in Yeshua of the nations can't be seen because they're not living out Jewish life. Now when I talk about Jewish life, I'm not saying Orthodox life or conservative life or reform life or reconstructionist life. I'm not talking denominationally, okay? I am saying that they need to identify as active members of the Jewish community and to remain faithful to the covenant of Sinai that God made with their ancestors while maintaining a bold and public testimony for Messiah Yeshua. There's always been a grayscale of expression and practice to Jewish life. When I was studying in my degree, in my rabbinics degree, uh, the, uh, the, the professor, the rabbi who was a leading cons- uh, the- uh, conservative theologian, flat out said, Jewish life is a buffet. Eat what you will. Not everything's on a Jewish buffet. Pork sausage is not on a Jewish buffet. Okay? There's a lot on a Jewish buffet though that is Jewish. And we need to eat off that. We need to express ourselves in all that is there as we live out an identified Jewish life. There is a grayscale for expression and practice in Jewish life. The challenge simply is this. Are you willing to live as an identifiable Yeshua follower and a committed member of the greater Jewish community? So, These are the purposes that are expressed here in Romans 11. That that those from among the nations who have come to accept the, accept the, the Jewish Messiah Yeshua and the God of Israel will live in such a way that the Jewish people will be attracted to what they believe because of the change in their lives. Because they are loving people and hard-working people and give a testimony of, of spirituality of a life transformed by their faith in the God of Israel. And for us as Jews who believe in Yeshua, that we would live identifiable Jewish lives, that people will see who we are. Our purpose for a synagogue and Skokie and the way we do things is that people would see and be encouraged that God has done a work among our people. And we are that remnant spoken of Uh, In Elijah's time, in Eliyahu's time, and then in time, God might add more of our people to this remnant. May not ever be a large remnant. You may not be able to to carpet your basement with this remnant in essence. Maybe something more fitting for a small closet. But who knows what God might do. In In the time of some of you, many Jewish people have come to faith in the last 30, 40 years through just miraculous intervention on God's part. But either way, let us consider again our purpose. Remember, you don't want to leave the ball on the tee. You want to put it in the hole in one stroke. 
You need to be committed to your purpose, the purpose that God has for you. He is indeed king. We reflect on the sovereignty of God at Rosh Hashanah. The Lord our God is indeed king. Let us live our lives purposefully committed to him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Avinu Machenu, our Father and our King, we thank you so much for the fact that you are a God who redeems and saves. And you have brought us into relationship with you through the forgiveness of our sins as we have accepted that Yeshua is indeed the Messiah who has provided atonement for our sin through his death. I do pray, God, that we would live out your purpose for our lives, whether we tonight are Jewish or Gentile, that we would indeed seek to fulfill your purpose for our lives. Again, we thank you, God, for our Messiah, Yeshua, by whose death this has been made possible. We pray this all in Yeshua's name.